Welcome on. Thank you for tuning in to the Battle on Birds FC podcast, the soccer podcast focusing all things pro soccer in the DMV and across the U.S. As always, my name is Jose Omania, your sports writer for Sports Pulse and one of your hosts. And joining me as always, the ever eclectic and magical and constructive and I hope awake co-host Mario Maya from the Tiempo Latino. Mario, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. I am awake, damn it. I've been drinking six coffees. I'm kidding, by the way. But I have learned a lesson this weekend. If you're an MLS head coach, don't mess with your star player. You'll probably end up losing your job. I mean, if you didn't learn that from our 7-1 rubbing of Toronto, then you're out of luck. But that's another topic for another day. Uh, we will discuss uh, DC United and the Washington Spirit in a second. But just before we got started, obviously, there were a couple of matches being played. And the U.S. men's national team secured its spot into the quarterfinals of the CONCACAF Gold Cup with a 1-0 victory over Canada, winning the group, winning group B with nine points. Goal scored by Shaq Moore within 20 seconds of the first half. It would have been the fastest, but it turns out it is not the fastest goal in in Gold Cup history. But it is one of the fastest goals in Gold Cup history. And that's all the U.S. needed as it was able to withstand Canada's attack. Uh, Donovan Pines for D.C. United ended up making an appearance coming in for the injured Walker Zimmerman. Within the first 20 minutes of the match due to an injury. Uh, and we'll get to his performance in a second. But just real quick, Mario, what are your overall thoughts on how the U.S. played and held on to the victory? Well, let's see. It was a tale of two water breaks. During the first water break, which was the first 30 minutes of the game, the U.S. was playing pretty all right. You know, Canada was pressuring, but they were holding their own. Post the water break after the game, my God, I have never seen a team try to defend for their lives so much. Also, Canada. I have never seen a team so off target in my life. But other than that, I mean, let's call call it what it is. The The USMT scraped a victory and went on survival mode from after the 30th minute on. Because Canada was just tacking it on, especially with Buchanan just laying run after run after you on U.S. defenders. And but for the most part, uh, Canada wasn't able to capitalize on the opportunities they had. And also, it's weird because Canada also caught the injury bug because I think they've had to make two or three subs for injuries. Ayo uh, Akinola came out uh, not far after Walker Zimmerman came out because he got injured. And also Kyle Lahren went down with an injury. All in all, it was a weird game. It was a chip. It was a somewhat of a chippy game in, in certain points. But also it was not a, it was not a pretty win for the U.S. for the United States men's national team. But they got it da- done. And also Shaq dunked a goal on the Canadians in the first 20 seconds. You've just been waiting to use that pun all day ever since he scored. Um, Sebastian, pass me the rock. I mean, look, what can be said about their performance? The U.S. decided to play very defensive. Uh, It's a reminder reminiscent in a weird way of how England played in that Euro final. They got the early goal, 
felt like there was no need to attack further. And what helped, what didn't help was, you know, I thought Derek DK and Zardes played well up top together, but they've never played together. So you saw that there were issues in communication, no structural passes and creative plays between the two. There was no one in the midfield that was constructing enough plays. The wing play was non-existent from most points of the match. And it really left it to the uh, jet to do all the work on the wings, which makes you wonder how bad is the Pariola injury that, you know, he was already ruled out before the game with stiffness. Remember, he was ruled out of the second game due to what appeared to be a pull hammy in the first game. Um, so we just don't know to the extent of how bad that injury is. Right now, they're only calling it tightness. But you could clearly tell there's a problem with the wings, which we mentioned before would would be an issue that they hope to fix with putting strikers over there. But clearly, they have yet to find that answer. And I wouldn't be surprised if in the future games, we may see Zardes having to force himself back in the wing just because of a need if Paul Ariola cannot go in the future. As for the result itself, look, I understand Canadian fans feeling done up with the two penalty kick calls that were not called in their favor. The first one, Walker Zimmerman actually injured himself. Uh, he was he fouled the Canadian striker. Which should have been called. Yeah. yeah, which he fouled them closer to the, uh, you know, he fouled them close to the out-of-bounds area. But he was able to stay up, man. You know, they gave him the the play, advantage play, and he was able to run inside the box. By that point, though, he had a lost, lost balance. He trips on himself and he falls. Loraya feels slightly parts of his <laughs> Zimmerman's body and decides, I'm going to dive. And he dives, and, you know, they went VAR, checked it, no, no penalty. You know, it, it, it was so weird. I, I don't know. I didn't feel that Canada was, you know, their coach admitted in this post game, and you just did as well, Mario, that they were just so off target. And it got worse when Akinola got pulled out for an injury. They just didn't seem poised to score at any point. And that's with, you know, Donovan Pines, and we might as well get to it now. He comes in in the 15th minute. At first, he does play a little better. He, he's connecting. He's playing that defense. I think at some point, the occasion got to him. And he probably, obviously, he's coming in, you know, raw. Probably didn't warm up. And then in the 51st minute, he almost gave the ball away for a goal. If it wasn't for a quick goalkeeping from Matt Pickens. So, you... You mean Matt Turner? Matt Turner, excuse me. If it wasn't, it wasn't for Turner... I, you know, Canada scores on a Donovan Pines mistake trying to back pass. So, overall, I think he played okay. He didn't impress much. and He may have to play again, you know, for the people who are scared about our center back situation. You know, Donovan's, if he has to play the next game because Walker Zimmerman's out, you know, yeah, he's a project. But we're going to have to give this dude support if he's going to go back in there again due to injury. Right, and I think the weird part is Donovan Pines did play okay for the most part, like you said, but there were about four or five instances in that game where he made some decisions 
or just had some shaky moments. He, he was making some pretty terrible decisions coming out of the back. Luckily, one of those decisions, uh, I think one of the Canadian players stole the ball from him, but he was able to track back and and get and get and get the ball back. It's just that I think that for for some reason, in the middle of the game, in the most inopportune time, the occasion did get to Donovan Pines, and that happens. It's only his second cap, so I, I don't think we should totally crucify him for it. But I, I think you would need a better performance uh, moving forward from Donovan Pines, especially considering that he may be starting in the quarterfinals, which is a whole different animal Go in, in the Gold Cup if Walker Zimmerman can't play. Well, the only, I mean, Donovan Pines wasn't the only one. I think James Sands had a pretty okay performance. But James Sands also had some, sh- some shaky moments. I think most of everybody on the USMT defense had some shaky moments throughout the game. And I think and I think they need to work on it a little more. But all in all, like like Canada wasn't like I said earlier, Canada wasn't able to capitalize on whatever opportunities they had. And um Matthew Hoppy coming in in the second half was kind of a fre- uh, a little bit of a relief for the midfield, but the only issue he had every time he'd go up, he was alone. Like there day, he couldn't really connect with Daryl DK, and, and it was a lot of and it and the Canadian uh, defenders quickly descended on him. So all all in all, I think defensively the U.S. held their own for for whatever time they could defending but i think at the same time there's a lot of uh, a lot of um things to work on on the defensive shape this wasn't also this particular game wasn't particularly great for kellen acosta either who had some shaky moments and he came off in the second half i think the us's biggest problem is there's not a you know with a bc team roster there's no one who's a set starter on this team outside of legit and you know you mentioned Pines a second cap this is only Daryl TK's second start you know he should have probably started that first game but he didn't and he started the second game really had a show this and now in the third game he's paired up with Zardes who's been playing alone up top by himself they weren't able to connect. I wonder how much time they had with each other during training to really prepare to play in that two-striker role. So they've been playing. I think, I think considering just the uh, just the amount, like the amount of games they played in, like so little time. So it's like where they played from about Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken, from the Martinique game, the turnover today. They only had about four or five days to kind of work together and figure out the system. I'm now going into the quarterfinals. You have a whole week if you decide to play a two-man striker again, and you could actually balance it out a little more and have a little more cohesion between Zardes and uh, and uh, Daryl DK. But but that's my point. My point is I don't think you should. It's a really a two-strike. I don't think it's a four-three-one-two formation kind of deal because there's not a ten and. I really do think it's a weird hybrid of the 4-3-3, but it's artist is a little bit of a free roamer, and DK really should be up top in the middle by himself. But if you're telling Zardes he's got to be a wingman, he 
we know that he's not really a winger type, so I, maybe we see DK start on the bench. We'll see. Uh, I, I think overall, we're just happy. I think the U.S. fan base, we're just happy they got out against Canada with points. I think if you would have looked at it from the beginning and said, okay, what's the team that probably has you questioning if they'll get points? It's Canada. You had already gotten the six you needed, and playing Canada, you could have played the Canadian strategy too of, hey, I got guys on yellow cards. Let me give them the night off. We're already qualified. We we feel like we could be any team. And so we can, you know, we still have our best guys out there. We'll just play with our best, you know, the ones that are available. Right. You could have done that. But at the same time, Canada was also going out there with some of their better players to win the game. So this was a game that both teams were up for. And, you know, being that they already had tie, had pretty much locked up their spot in the quarterfinals, people would be like, oh, this is a game that shouldn't go too hard. Group supremacy was at stake. So, yeah, there was a lot to play for in this game. And luckily, as a USMT fan, as someone that watches the USMT, they were able to get the result despite everything that happened. Right, and they get to avoid a first-place team from another group. They'll, they'll take on the winner of well, the other group. They'll play either Costa Rica or Jamaica, whoever falls in second place of Group C. Anybody, you know, is there anything that concerns you before we move on about that possible matchup, either Costa Rica or Jamaica? Me, personally, I just I feel the tougher matchup is Jamaica. But if the United States is going to play Costa Rica, they cannot do what they did during World Cup qualifying with Klinsman in them and underestimate Costa Rica. Yes, it's a much veteran roster. It's probably, next to Panama, the oldest teams uh, in the tournament. But, you know, we're talking about Zoe Campbell. We're talking about Brian Reese. We're talking about a team that has pedigree, and they know the tournament, and they know that once it's a knockout format, it's do or die. So it'll be. It's, I want to see what happens if it is Costa Rica. How Gorhalter lines up? Because do you do you continue with DK or do you revert to what you know will work? Is having Zardes alone up top, having two wingers, a, a natural wingers? Uh, does Paul come back in the fold? Do you switch up the center back situation due to the injury to Walker Zimmerman? Does Jackson Yule start the next match? Do you, do you go with uh, if if Ariola can't play? Do you go? You mentioned it via text message on who you think should go, you know, and it that's where I wonder: Do you stick to your conservator role that you usually known for, or do you continue these experiments that you've been doing through during the Gold Cup? That's a catch twenty two. I think. Well, if uh, via text message, I mentioned that Nicholas Joachini should play out in the wings. He's a much more, a little bit more of a natural winger. I, I said he should have came into this game until I realized that the U.S. had used up all five of their subs. So that that was kind of stupid in my part. But it's uh, injury concerns. That's the other thing. Like, yeah, you're going in with injury wow. concerns. So you're going to ask yourself a lot of these questions. Now, for as the opponent, I think you'd kind of want to avoid Jamaica. I think Jamaica's been one of those teams that have been consistent in the last few years in CONCACAF. They're what you call a dark horse. Uh, 
and also they've been playing pretty solid throughout the Gold Cup, and they've been they've done well. They made it to the finals twice, uh, eliminating the U.S. and Mexico in two of these editions. And so I think that yeah, you want to avoid Jamaica, but it's going to be a game where you if you do end up playing Jamaica you're going to be tested and you're going to be tested because they are bringing some of their better players. One of those guys is Leon Bailey from Bayer Leverkusen who could be the X factor on this team. Now, if you get Costa Rica, you're going to be, yeah, you're going to be playing a team with a lot of veranosity in them that are, that's pretty veteran. They've done, they haven't, they've been around the block plenty of times, but also it's a team that can give you complications if they're, if they're feeling it that night. And so that that's one of the things, if you're Greg Berhalter, you can't fall into this false sense of confidence going into the next round saying, oh, we're playing the runner up of this group. It can bite, it could end up biting you in the butt if, if, uh, if it so shows, so uh, if it shows, if it decides to, but at the end, I think that you kind of want to tinkle a little bit with it. With the uh, with the lineup, but you got to have a set system going going forward into this tur- going forward into the quarterfinals, because if you're still messing around with the system and don't have a proper set system, it can bite you in some. It can come and haunt you some way or another. So at the at the end, I'm gonna I gotta say that maybe you want to avoid Jamaica, but I wouldn't be surprised if you end up playing Costa Rica in the second round or in the quarterfinals. So essentially, avoid Jamaica. Yeah, yeah essentially, yeah, avoid Jamaica. <laughs> if we're, for all it's worth, avoid the reggae boys. They, they, this is a team that's not to be trifled with. Gotcha. Understood. Before we leave the USMT realm, it was reported earlier this week, thanks to the uh, president of the Salvadorian uh, Federation of Football, that there is that they will be pushing to play in the United States. There are two World Cup qualifiers due to a 90-day mass gathering uh, ban due to the COVID-19 pandemic in the country. This is what we know. That is according to the president of El Salvador. He has reported this. He's told the media that he has already given the request to FIFA and, quote, due to previous other teams who have asked for this permission, they expect to receive a yes from FIFA. They hope to play games in either Houston, Los Angeles, or Washington, D.C., unquote, where the Salvadorian community has a larger population of fans. Then rumors started swirling when Steve Golf of the Washington Post reported on Thursday, on Wednesday, that Audi Field had been contacted. Then Moises Leonardis of Telemundo had also confirmed that FedEx Field had been contacted and that organizers, quote, see a better as it sees FedEx Field as a better option to host both matches, considering that they can get a guaranteed 40000 unquote. Univision just said during the broadcast that they have heard reports that FIFA has denied the Salvador request. However, nothing has been formally reported, so that is just a rumor that Univision is reporting on. There has been nothing official out of FIFA at this time, according to our reporting right now. Uh, But, you know, Mario, what are your thoughts of the possibility that the U.S. men's national team, who is scheduled to play El Salvador first, 
in the World Cup qualifiers in September would play their away game in Washington, D.C. against El Salvador. That's a wild way of putting it, to be honest with you, (laughs) considering the amount of Salvadorians that live in the D.C. area. You kind of will replicate what you're going to end up facing at El Cuscatlan, either at Audi Field or FedEx Field. Because, again, this would be a – literally, this is going to be a home game for El Salvador. I find it fascinating, especially that it came out of the Salvadorian president's mouth while talking to media. He just said it so nonchalantly and just, like, put it out there kind of in a – we're going to speak this into existence. We're going to play a home game in the United States against the U.S. men's national team in three places where we absolutely know we can fill up this stadium with our compatriots. So the funny thing about playing the, in either of these games in Los Angeles, in Houston, or in D.C., you're guaranteed a sellout. Why? Because these are the three cities with the biggest Salvadorian populations in the country. So you're not only guaranteed a sellout, you're guaranteed like a distinct home field advantage away from home. So... I find it fascinating. I find it I find it interesting that they are pushing this forward. Uh, this wouldn't be the first time that uh, that uh, anybody would want to play outside of uh, of uh, of their nation due to uh, due to unforeseen circumstances to play a World Cup qualifier outside of their homes. It's happened to El Salvador before. It happened in the 2010 World Cup qualifier against Anguilla where Anguilla didn't have the stadium requirements that met to FIFA standards. So they decided on the next best thing, you're going to play a return leg on the road at RFK. Look, if they can do it, cool. Uh, yeah, the Europeans, you know, with the Euro qualifiers and, and with the European uh, qualifying, um, they did have to do that multiple times. I, I just I'm not a fan, and maybe that's where FIFA's heading at of taking out these qualifiers that are guaranteed money makers for not just the fellow confederations, but also give opportunities to those those fellow countries to host matches if if there's a possibility they don't make it to the World Cup, and that's one thing we have to consider that FIFA's probably going to look at this and say why can't F- Concacaf be flexible and Ask the United States to flip dates with the, with the El Salvador. I know that the United States doesn't want to do that because they probably already picked up their hotel. They probably have everything planned out. But guess what? We're a month out. You could the U.S. men's national team could come up with a friendly uh, match in a month and and promote it and get it done. I think they could do the same thing with a World Cup qualifier. I can even help you right here, right now. Here you go. FIFA tells CONCACAF, no, make them play away for those two matches. Uh, flip the dates with the U.S. and Honduras. Honduras already knows they can get a sellout when playing El Salvador because they hate them. That's just family patriotism at its maximum. But in terms of the United States, here you go. I'll help you. You play in either Cincinnati or the new Columbus Crew Stadium. You sell it out. You promote it as the first time the USMT men's national team plays at these venues, and it's a World Cup qualifier. Yeah, it's a Thursday. 
Nobody wants to travel on a Thursday. But these are two new venues in the middle of nowhere, USA, that wouldn't mind having the U.S. men's national team, especially a game that matters. We already are giving the middle of nowhere a match in Nashville. I wouldn't be surprised if we give another middle of nowhere to to play against El Salvador as our home match. It's just fact. I know that there's just a small population in Columbus, but at that point, if you're the U.S. men's national team, you already know you're going to fill up all of Columbus with the majority of USMT supporters. So you might as well do it. I don't see why they didn't even propose it. Because once you you hear, and then that was the other thing too, the president of Salvador's FA was pretty brash, coming out three hours after the president of the United of the country was just informed they're going to do this ban by his health department. Like, pretty bash. We came together and we fought this through in three, in less than three hours. Sure. No, I'm pretty sure how that how that ended up going with, if you ever watch the show Phineas and Ferb, I've quoted it a couple times, it's kind of like, Ferb, I think I know what we're going to do today. It's like a light bulb hit his head. He's like, oh, we're not playing this game with a crowd in San Salvador? We're going to take this to a tour to the United States of these Americas. I have three cities in mind. Yeah, and that's probably where the Univision report comes from without evidence. Probably comes from someone they know who was like, FIFA probably is thinking, no, you have to freaking figure it out, communicate with the Confederation, and either play behind closed doors or switch dates to the USMT. Um, I just think that's going to probably end up happening. They'll probably switch dates. They'll probably have to travel more. They'll be more winded. But I think... I agree. El Salvador, if possible, should play those matches, whether it's here, L.A., Honduras. My only concern playing them here is this. If it's not at Audi Field, you're going to have a problem in terms of turf. Playing at FedEx Field, they have a preseason game against the Ravens the Sunday before, and then they're off for two weeks. So it's already going to get beaten up by Washington football team preseason. I think it's the Redskins earlier. My apologies. If I didn't, cool. Uh, <laughs> you're going to have preseason on that ground, at least two to three preseason games on that ground. And then you're going to come in. This isn't a situation like in the past when you play European friendlies and they were the first to play on that turf. You're going to be second. And it's gonna have its divots. It's gonna have its. It's gonna be choppy. It's not gonna look pretty. Yeah, Stadio Cuscatlan has similar grass, but it's not gonna have the problems of grass that are created by football cleats. So I hope they really think it through. Yes, they could get forty thousand. Yes, they could get more Salvadorians in there. Yes, they can overcharge us over parking. I get all those rationales, but. It, Really, 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 really think about maybe you'd want to play in an actual grass stadium. Audi's going to be free that weekend. Beat lacrosse to the punch and use that nice field to your advantage. Only DC United and the Spirit have used that field. Take advantage of it before it's too late. That's my only advice. Yeah, I think some people are be like, well, the only thing about Audi Field is there's not enough parking. 
Listen, I do you probably, really need a barbecue before a game? Like, do you really need <laughs> that big pig before the game? Do you really need those five grilled chickens and those uh, uh grilled elotes so bad? Does the pupusa <laughs> on the terrible grill really help you that much and serve the soul of your love for your national team that bad? Do you really need that expired uh, tequila as well as that backwash you call uh Corona? No, you don't, sir. We, sir. First off, if you're drinking Corona, you're living foul. You're drinking the other backwash that's called Heineken. Uh, also, I don't think you really need to bring that big old watermelon, aka a sandia, that you need to eat prior to the game, and then you gotta uh, like swat the flies away just to keep it fresh. I don't think you need it. it, it it's interesting though. You don't again, need to bring all eight of your kids either for two tickets. Like, you can just bring you, your best friend, maybe your wife. Maybe it's the same person. I don't know. <laughs> but just, just come to the game and how do you feel? Because it's going to be on a nice... Do you, really need to bring, do you really need to bring your big old Toyota 4Runner SUV with the big old speaker in the background while you're playing Hold Los, Hermanos, Los Hermanos Flores or any other sort of Salvadorian cumbia in the background because you really need to have a tailgate that day. And look, we're acting as if they don't already pay absorbent amount of prices for parking. I Last I checked, when they play in L.A., the parking situation is awful. The, ticket, the parking tickets are like $50 and stuff. They'll pay for parking. I just people just don't want to deal with the traffic. I get that. It's going to be a weekday. You don't want to deal with the traffic. But if you really sit and you think about it, if you eat also, at you home, gotta think about it. It's a it's the it's a Thursday before it's a Thursday before Labor Day, before a three day weekend. <laughs> but still, it's like, look, call the day off or whatever you do, like ask yourself. Are you really helping the team if you're the federation? This is similar to when the USMT played, and we'll get off of this in a second. Really ask yourself, when the USMT played at Red Bull Arena, you know, really too close to a community of Costa Ricans, that was a terrible idea. FedEx Field is pretty far, pretty, pretty far to, to, for, to the majority of the Latino community that would be going to the game. Yeah. People from Virginia could access it through there, but they could also access the metro pretty better and faster. That's what I'm saying. Make your money selling out all those suites like DC United would do and the U.S. Men's National Team would do. That's where you'll make your money. Do you really need 40000 No. You can still sell these terrible tickets over in La Mega anyway. You don't need the help <laughs> of Ticketmaster. You can still do it. You you can you you'll still get your uh, your commercial going. Vengan a apoyar a la selección salvadoreña al audifil para las eliminatorias. And just you know remind what? the people and just remind people that we just don't take cash. Like that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's all you gotta really do. I tell them, yo, you gotta use your credit card. Oh, you gotta use your cell phone for this ticket too. Not your EBT card. You know that's not gonna work. <laughs> I'm just saying. Look. I done seen it all. I'm just saying, <laughs> look, I'm just saying for the competitiveness, for the actual entertainment value of what these games are, a more intimate nature, it should be Audi Field. But what's going to end up happening is Audi Field is going to be the practice area for either the U.S. or El Salvador. 
And then the other team's going to go play probably at Maryland or the soccer flex. And, and then they'll play at FedEx. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be a disaster because it always is at FedEx because people don't know how guest services work at FedEx field. And I don't mean the us, I mean people who work at FedEx field and then it just becomes a mess and a disaster. I, I honestly do think uh, FIFA should step in and make the U.S. and Honduras switch dates with El Salvador. It just makes perfect sense. Yeah, but if they don't, get ready. <laughs> another another a team that was ready in case anything stupid happened was the Washington Spirit, who went down a, a player after Sam Stobbs' late tackle uh, as the last defender. Uh, got shown a red card seven uh, seven minutes into the match. Spirit played 83 minutes man down, but were able to keep the match close. Took an early lead, but f- end up falling to the New York, New Jersey Gotham 3-2. Um, Mario, we were both watching this. I was watching the USMT game. I, I admitted I watched more of the Spirit game <laughs> than the USMT match. But, uh, you know, what were your thoughts on what you saw? And the spiritual performance. First off, my ADD was on overload today, so you know. <laughs> uh, from what I saw, uh, again, shout out to the Spirit just playing 83 minutes going toe-to-toe with the New York, New Jersey Gotham FC. It's a really long name, by the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, shout out to them because they were able to keep them at bay. They were able to keep them, keep their toes, like they're keeping them on their P's and Q's for good for 83 minutes. Unfortunately, you know the they, the new uh, the got Gotham got got the got the game winning goal late in the game, but also I'm gonna say shout out to Trinity Rodman and Ashley Sanchez for producing highlight real worthy goals. Yeah, most definitely, I gotta agree with you there. Uh, Tiff, uh, Trinity hit just a had a one v one after getting a ball from Andy Sullivan had a one v one. And then just hit a perfect curler for her first goal at Segura. And then down 2-1 in the 57th minute, Ashley Sanchez hit a perfect curling free kick over the wall in her first free kick goal of her career. So, you know, it's good that the younger players continue to excel. Uh, Marina Stoutmiker, she made her debut. Uh, we had a couple other players come in, and the youth really showed up. But it, it, by the end, you know, you had Midge uh, Purse, who we know is a Montgomery County native. She's on the bench. And that, that, that was the one thing that I realized during this game. You have Allie Long, from, former U.S. Women's National Team player, who wasn't called up in this game. You had uh, Midge Puse, who, uh, Midge Purse, who many argue should have been called up. She also is in this game. You know like, what? I'm starting to realize little by little, these are starting to become Vlaco's subtweets at this point. <laughs> like, hey, you see this player you left out? She scored again. <laughs> Was she not good enough? <laughs> like, come on now. Andy Solomon and Mitch Purse over here just showing out and sh- showing up and showing out during these games. I'm like, wait a minute. They they were better than Julie Ertz, but again, I'm I'm going way off topic, but going way off course here. But yeah, these are becoming Vladko subtweets, and I'm here for it. Yeah, and I think that ended up coming back to bite 
spirit in the butt a little bit because, yeah, they were down to 10, but at the same time, you know, their youth has really gotten better, but it's still lacking that oomph, those extra matches that you get. And these were the matches they should have, they would have gotten to test their depth, but they weren't expecting, you know, certain players to not be out as well. So, you know, by the end, they were t- down to 10 players, and the man advantage really helped when you have a, a, a Mitch Purse who can just, you know, hit a right footer past Bledsoe, and you get tired when you're chasing a ball around and, and trying to get it back. But I will say, you know, I thought that they did an excellent job at playing toe-toe, as they would say it in, in Spanish, playing toe-toe, playing man-to-man, and just keeping the game close, uh, down 10 men. And I think that's one thing that has to be commended, that they they kept it close when many teams would have faltered. But the one negative of trying to keep it close is with the result, you drop down from <laughs> they were close in second, technically, in a battle in second place with a three-way tie for first. Now they drop all the way down to fifth with 15 points. Is there anything that concerns you heading into this match with Louisville next week? Um, I'm going to have to say the defensive shape. Uh, you got to re- you got to rethink or retool how you're going to play defensively, especially considering that Staub is going to be out of the game for figuratively stopping someone and getting a red card. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the one area of concern you got to have if you're Richie Burke going into the game against Louisville next week. Is how are you gonna, how are you gonna shape, how are you gonna be uh, defensively shaped up, or how the shape of your defense is gonna look like? How do you adjust? Uh, other than that, I think they should be fine. And uh, but other, I think that would be your main concern going into the next game. You know me as a striker, my main concern is defense as well. <laughs> but it's I can't help but agree with you. Um, is I think that the defense is going to become a concern, uh, especially they lost. You know they they lost Sonnet, they lost O'Hara, they recently let go um, of a couple of players. They got Paige Nielsen back, but that's not going to be enough. Um, you do need you need a Sam Staub and a Hefferty. Uh, Hefferty has played okay. Uh, Dorian Bailey's played well as well. But how about and this is a hot take? Ooh, uh, how would not get Rick Hardy? <laughs> that would help. Um, you know things like that happen all, all all the time. But and you think if they could just you know focus on playing their game. Playing, playing with full eleven players, and just I feel like a lot of that trust in the striker roles with the three up top. You have Hatch, Sanchez, and Robin. I think the team now trusts them that they can just create their own plays, and we see it more and more. I am stopping to ask uh, <laughs> Richie, uh, are you going to manage uh, Trinity's minutes? Yes, she only played sixty four this week, but uh, hey. Apparently he knows what he's doing at this point. Like Trinity's coming every week, coming at it all angles. But now they have Mariana Speckmayer, uh, the Venezuelan. I hope 
that she gets a couple more minutes because Ashley did look burned out by the end of that match. She um, Mariana came in for Ashley Hatch, so maybe she could come in for Sanchez. Um, and we know that after the Olympics, the games are going to start rolling in. So you are going to need players like Mariana, um, Karina Rodriguez, who's who's a new pickup, Devin Kerr, who they uh, who's been on the team. Like they need to give these players some minutes. So hopefully against Louisville, it's another game where they travel to Louisville. The last time they gave Louisville their first victory in club history. I know they don't want to do that again, but we shall see um, how they look. And I do think that there needs to be a little bit more squad rotation. Uh, yeah, you don't want to lose yourself far back in terms of points, but you're only three off of first place currently as of this recording. So, you know, figure out the squad rotation. Make sure the defense is, is solid. You are going to be without stab stop. So, you know, figure out who who's stepping out and who's showing up to take over that role uh, in the back while she serves that suspension. All right. Before we head to the final topic, let's uh, hear what Tegan McCready had to say about the match itself. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always a hard adjustment to make. You're never expecting to lose someone in the first, you know, 10 minutes, five. I don't even know what it was, but I just knew it was a pretty quick bit. Um, I mean, I honestly think... For everything that we did, we did a fantastic job of shifting the way that we needed to play, going into a different formation and kind of just, um, you know, doing everything that we could. I think we kept them on their toes a lot, and I think we actually, you know, possessed a lot for considering how much we were down and really, you know, we're on the front foot even for a little bit. Final topic of the evening. We normally start the podcast with this, but being that we just recently saw soccer, we might as well start with what we just recently saw and end with, a negative note, which was DC United, despite being prepared and playing all these friendlies and not taking time off, it looks like the time off could have helped. DC United was unable to muster any offense as they lost to Philadelphia 2-1. to Yamil Assad scored his second goal of the season in the 51st minute, tied things up with a penalty kick. However, that was not enough as the Philadelphia Union would get the 2-1 victory. Um... I mean, what is there to say, really? It looked like it was a game of really missed opportunities. United had enough chances, in my eyes, to capitalize. You know, Rebecca started. Um, we'll get to Hernan's quotes in a second, but, you know, what's your overall assessment of the match? First off, it's a disappointing performance by the defending Capital Cup champions. Let's start with that. <laughs> Uh, it was a weird game, to say the very least, if you're DC United. It was a physical game because Philadelphia brought the physicality to the point that two of your players needed to be subbed off midway through the first half because they kept getting stopped on. But uh, other than that, I think one of the main hey, takeaways was they need to work on the, ca- on the counter because that's where Philadelphia killed them on both goals. Uh, the first goal, they had they committed way too many numbers up, and they were able to pretty much take advantage of that. And Sergio Santos slotted it past Bill Hamid as Bill Hamid punched the ground after the first goal, mainly in frustration that he couldn't save the ball. But Sergio Santos was able to capitalize on that. And then again, because Tony Alfaro, Tony Alfaro overcommitted and did with the best way I could describe it is, oh, 
terrible uh, <laughs> tracking back. <laughs> the ball landed in Sergio Santos again, who passed the ball to Casper Shabilko, who's become a DC United killer since he signed with Philadelphia, scoring his sixth goal against the black and red, and that ended it. Well, so I thought, that. yeah, I thought Shavilko's second goal, you know, what was made it more emphatic is that, you know, he just made a stop. And it told you everything in terms of, like, how lackluster the defensive performance was. And this was my concern from the beginning of the season was what, ha- where is DC United's defensive flaw? And we've been waiting for it to show. And it's the commits too many numbers forward. And you saw Steve Birnbaum, who was making his first game back, having to track back, and he ends up hurting himself. Why? Because he doesn't slow down to man up the mark. He instead goes for the slide, the weird attempt of a sliding stomp tackle to get the ball back, and he ends up just like falling to the ground, injuring himself. And so, if this team's biggest defensive flaw is playing the counter, then teams are going to just straight up give up the possession and see what United can do. And that's what I'm talking about in terms of you have to score when you get your chances. Like you really do. It's pretty embarrassing that we're saying, um, you know, score when you have the ball, like it makes perfect logical sense. (laughs) But at the same time, it's United keeps missing shots after shot after shot. They had a shot hit the crossbar. They had a couple of shots go far, you know? Yes. Philadelphia outshot them 11 to nine. But United had, if you were talking about effectiveness, you know, they had three shots on target, seven corner kicks, no offsides, you know, for a team that's very offensive heavy and likes the pressure and build from the midfield to go forward and attack. You know, they should be scoring more. It, it would more, and they had Adrian Perez in there, Robretha in there, Emil Saad. Yes, they're missing what. Hernan Lozada called his best player in Pariola. Yes, uh, we, Flores is still an unknown for now. But you have a lot of these offensive pieces, and now the injuries are piling up again. Like you mentioned, we had a couple injuries. You know, Russell Canals had to come out due to an injury. Uh, Perez came out in the 32nd injury, uh, second, 32nd minute due to injury. So... Going back to what we started the year off with, short numbers and stuff, and United needs to manage his minutes. This is going to be the first. This was the first of three games in eight days, so they really need to manage the squad rotation. Um, heck, we even found Kevin Paredes didn't even come to the Philadelphia Union game because he got injured during, injured during USMT training camp. So. We found this out via the post-game press <laughs> conference by Hernan Losada. Uh, word of mouth. Yeah. So, you know, matter of fact, I'm going to say this right now. We're about to listen to Hernan Losada give excuses. So this is uh, Hernan Losada explaining, explaining the performance. It hurts a little bit to know that we considered this in advance, that we knew that this could happen and getting two goals against some counterattacks when you are the better team, when you create the better opportunities, when you are the team with, the, with more possession, it, it hurts. It hurts. And we need to get uh, smarter. We need to get a little bit more intelligent, knowing that if, if you can grab a point on the road, then it's a point. You take a point and you also don't give three to the opponent in, in, a, in a tight East Conference where every point is going to count. 
we need to be more an MLS team and less a college team. But this this is the the price we need to pay when you play with so many young players, when you play with players who are playing MLS for the first time, still a big improvement compared with the last season. All the players are performing well and performing, some of them even above their, their capacities. Uh, we're coming on the road against the Philadelphia Union team who's very strong and you are still, are for the biggest part of the game, the better team. So what can I say? I don't think we can do more than this. Yes. We can avoid those little mistakes that are costing us points, but for the rest, this is all what we have. So, I'm going to address this real quick. He said everybody's young and new players on this roster that he took to Philadelphia. Okay, here's the youth he's speaking of. Bill Hamid, <laughs> almost 30 years old. Andy Nahar, who's been playing in MLS since he was 14 years old. Uh, Steve Birnbaum was an MLS all-star and was a first-round draft pick, oh, I don't know, seven years ago. Tony Alfaro has played for the Seattle Sounders and has been in, ML- in and out of MLS the past three years. Julian Gressel has played for DC United for the past three years. I mean, Julian Gressel was a pickup from last season, so he's been on this team for a year and has been an MLS mainstay for years. Mm-hmm. Russell Canals been with DC United for two years already. Two and a half years, excuse me. Uh, Moreno's been with DC United for over three years. Mora, over three years. Perez was playing with LAFC last year, so he has experience in MLS. Amil Asad has been in, in with DC United and Atlanta United. Roberta New. That's the first new guy. I just gave you the whole starting 11 from yesterday and got one new guy. Who oh, let's is he not forget. Jor- also, let's not forget, Jordy Reyna came in in the second half, 29. And he's been in this block. Briant has been DC United's camp- captain for the past two years. Felipe, he's been here since he was traded. So he's been here for two years. Kempin, okay, he didn't even play. He's a rookie. Uh, is that the youth you're talking about? The guy who didn't play? Well, Joseph Nyman, he played last year. As a matter of fact, we had him trapped in a camp in Orlando last year getting that experience, you say, quote-unquote. Chris Duiato, beat cancer, has played in MLS for the last two years. <laughs> Where is the youth that he is? Griffin Yao, the eternal, the eternal youth project that's been here for three years? Where is this youth? He's, they have all been played. They all have had experience. You have one guy, one, one, just admit it. Just admit the fact you miss, You don't want to blame Roberta for missing his chances. You don't want to blame Emil. You don't want to blame the fact that you're missing players and the injuries. Just admit the fact you're short on guys. You missed your chances. Got your ass beat on the counter. Not that hard to admit. He admits they got beat by the counter. Everything else... I'm trying to wonder who's the youth he's speaking of here. Well, it can't be you and me because both of us are pushing north of 30 at this point. So, you know, I'm at. It's just like, I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. I'm like, what what youth do you speak of? You speak of Moses Nyman? He already has MLS experience. Irving he now came up with Ben Olsen. He was getting more minutes under Ben. <laughs> I don't know. I think I like. I understand trying to save your behind for for being terrible on the counter, but come on, man, just admit it. Like, yo, the game plan was wrong. It's fine to admit that the game plan was wrong from the get go. Just admit that 
you know, the physicality. Yes, you were expecting it, but maybe you had the wrong personnel out there. Maybe if you had Bryant there versus, you know, Birnbaum, it would have been more physical. Or you have Birnbaum and Bryant in there at the same time. Maybe that forces you to play with a four-back because they're really slow. Whatever it takes to be honest here, I think, is what was lacking in that press conference to me. You know, the lack the lack of motivation, those final 10 minutes after the rain delay was appalling. And so, to me... They didn't even shoot the ball after the rain delay. Yeah, there was a rain delay for like a good 45 minutes if you didn't watch the game. Referee stops the, stops the match around the 86th, 87th minute because there was thunder. It thought you hear like two, three thunder strikes around the area. Uh, so the game was paused for 45 minutes. If you were watching it on either Teleexitos or NBC Washington, you were treated to a repeat of the Capital Cup second leg. <laughs> if you did, if you missed it, like everyone else did, you got to watch parts of it, if not the whole first half. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I just. I, I heard that, and it's the first time out of these press conferences where I, it's a lot of horse poop. Like you know, it was, it was like you're trying to sell me a broken PlayStation. It's not, you're not gonna get that habit of me, sir. Especially because you know, me and Bill Hamid stood next to each other, and I was 19 when that happened. So I know <laughs> that Bill Hamid has been around the block. <laughs> he's not, yeah, he's not young. I, I covered Steve Birnbaum being drafted, so I know God as hell he ain't young. So it ain't. I watched Andy Nahar's first get first few games in a DC in his professional career. He's like a year younger than I am. He's twenty eight. He's a year younger than me. So that's, it tells you everything you need to know. And so he. It, it was like, look, if you're protecting your players, it's fine, but don't don't try to sell the fans this horrible load of horse crap. You you had a chance to 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 really this was the game you really wanted to show yourselves. And yes, you were missing players, but be more honest. You guys didn't come prepared in terms of the physicality. It was clear. It was clear to me that they were expecting physicality, but no that kind of physicality and that they got gifted a couple of calls i'm with the philadelphia fan base here yeah there were a couple offside calls that were not there were not offsides that they got called and what could argue that pk was uh, depending on the right angle not valid valid uh, but i thought philadelphia played played well in terms of limiting dc united's offensive abilities and attack but DC United has to be more clinical in the final third. We're going back to what we've been saying all season, the last three seasons, and they have to be clinical in the final third. And look, there was no Ola Kamara this week, so can't blame him. So the next match, they have to be more clinical. They have Chicago. They have New York. Chicago's on Wednesday. New York Red Bulls on Sunday. Mario? Anything you're expecting this week? Y'all better score against Chicago on Wednesday. <laughs> they gave up a hat trick in, in less than six minutes. <laughs> I'm not asking for that, but you better score. You better be a lot more clinical. And you better bring your A game against the Red Bulls because, well, we all know this is the rivalry. This is the rivalry game we speak of. 
You better come correct. Yep, and that will be enough for us. I think we are doing enough correcting for one day. So before we let you go, Mario, tell the people where they can find you. All right, if you want to see what I'm working on or just want to read my fan my uh, fan poems about Phineas and Ferb, you can follow me on Twitter at MarioMaya1. You want to see what's going on late going on in and around the world and the DMV, you can follow Tiempo Latino on Twitter too, at El Tiempo Latino. You can go on their website, eltiempolatino.com. If you want to put money in my pocket so I can pay for parking during the El Salvador U.S. game at Audi Field, allegedly, you could buy your you could buy a newspaper, either your local newsstands or your metro station dog. And also, apparently, because we figured out that Hernan Lozada pays attention to the media. Hernan, we still love you. It's just that we just feel like you try to sell us a PlayStation without a controller. We we love you. We, we do, but... But I worked at GameStop for years. You're not going to sell me this. Anywho, you, you can follow <laughs> me on Twitter at Jose underscore M underscore Mana for more. Or you can also go on the sportspost.com. Special shout out as always to Kevin Avocado and Upotech for the intro and outro music. Remember, rate and subscribe to Anchor, Spotify, and all your audio platforms. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Battle Breeze FC podcast. And we will talk to you soon. Adios.